You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident analyst, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So there's a lot of stuff that I want to cover, but we've got a long off-season. That's annoying. I've had a month to fix that. It's just a staple of the show at this point. And another staple, my alarm. Great start, everyone. Great. Well done. We have a lot of time with the off-season, so I'm trying not to jump the gun. I've got a bunch of questions and everything that I've been sitting on and other stuff that I want to discuss, um, including the firing over in uh, Houston or whatever. I don't know why I couldn't spit that out. I, I wanted to say Texas, and I was like, it's not Texas, it's Texans, but you can't say Texans because you said over in. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Anyways. So today, I'm going to ignore all the noise. We're not going to get into the Aaron Rodgers saga stuff. Who's the real MVP? Because we got a little bit more to talk about in terms of this Packers game. Little bit more in depth. But uh, first of all, big shout out on two of our big Iron Jock winners. We've got uh, Gooseman from Flick Chat, which, again, I told you all, you get a second entry. We had, I think, 120 people. Um, enter on the Facebook page, and we only had, like, by the time the game was going on, like, 56 people, call it half, decided to go get a second entry, so. Anyways, Gooseman is one of the people that decided to do it and ended up winning an Iron Jock hoodie as a result, so there you go. Also, Mr. Michael Lannis, I haven't uh, messaged him, I wasn't going to message either of them, I wanted it to be, you know, something I say on the podcast in case they didn't find out yet, but somebody in Flick thing was... Like, hey, man, I don't have Facebook. Who won? I was like, ah, it, it was Goose, man. But, Mike, if you did or didn't hear, now you know. And I'll uh, get in touch with you, get your address, what size you want, etc., etc. And we'll go from there. Also, while we're on it, big giant shout-out to Mr. Uh, Brandon Lancour. Lanker? Definitely looks like Lancour because there's an unnecessary vowel in there. But if you told me it was Lanker, I would believe you. Oh, and there may have been other winners. I don't know. But I got some feedback, um, not from overtime, but from a few listeners on the $500 giveaway. I'm not positive if they did it. I'm guessing they did. Um, And if you did win and you didn't tell me, please let me know that you won some money. But I had two people reach out and say, hey, I didn't win the $500, but apparently they just started handing out $100 bills. So everything is buried now. I found this very awesome thing where I can transcribe all of my podcasts, like, you know, a hundred at a time per month or whatever, which whatever, but I get an email for each of them. So I have like a hundred of these emails. So it's kind of buried. I think, was it Brian? Yeah. So Brian won one hundred bucks. Oh, and Michael. So Brian and Michael, at at least those two said uh, that they got a message. Somebody reached out, said, uh, you're not the winner of the $500, but here's a hundred bucks. Thanks for playing. So I didn't even know they were doing that, but that's pretty awesome. At this point, if you're still here just for the free giveaways, I can respect that. (laughs) But what I want to do is an early uh, break. I know we just got started, but I I really want to just be able to kind of dig in and get going right off the bat. So 
Um, as always, if you want to support the show, you can support me for as little as a dollar a month over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If everybody listening to this, and the, the show has been kind of, you know, the last couple days, the numbers have been fantastic. So a buck a month from everybody that listened just yesterday. And I'm going to have that, uh, that oh-so-fun conversation with the wife. Please, I don't want to go to work. I'm sure the first time I beg it won't work, but, you know, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll whittle her down. It'll, we'll get there. Um, if you're not in a position to do that, completely understand. A couple other things you can do. Number one, if everybody told two friends and got two people to listen to this show, I can beg. I'm guessing if you've learned anything from me in the last month, that I'm not, I'm not terrible at begging. I actually used to hate it before I started this podcast, and I've, I've grown accustomed to it. And then the third option, again, um, just make sure you set the notifications for this podcast. As I mentioned, there's already more than enough people that listen to this show um, for this to be a full-time gig. The problem is most people are not regular listeners. They're casual listeners. We actually have, I think during the Super Bowl was when this podcast peaked, and we were at about 20,000 unique listeners. Um, We're right at about 25,000 for this month. So not for this month, but the last 30 days. So things are going well in that direction. But again... If casual listeners become a little bit closer to daily listeners, we're, we're right there knocking on the door, man. So again, I thank you guys so much for your support. There's no doubt you're doing everything that you can, will, or are willing to. And uh, I can't complain where we're at because things are going phenomenally well. But we're not where I want to be, so I'm going to keep being annoying about it. I'm sorry. I'm not ashamed to say I'm desperate at this point. <laughs> Anyways, let's take a break because I want to dig into this. You know, they actually give me some words here to read if I so choose, but... I used to do that, and I, I kind of hate doing it because it sounds not authentic and like I don't actually care or believe in the company, but let me just read this because you probably don't even know it. Iron Jock was developed with one goal, to build the most advanced line of performance wear ever created no matter what the cost. The result is a unique collection of apparel built from technology. This is why I don't read because I don't know how to read. Built from technologically advanced superfiber. Sounds ridiculous, but put it on and tell me it's not true which are backed by groundbreaking science and a guarantee that if for any reason you don't love it, send it back, no questions asked. That probably would have been important to put in. in. But yeah, you can send it back. No, but really, I've been telling you that what I love about this this quality and this material, and this is true about some companies that I really do appreciate. Can't name their name because they're no longer advertisers, but there are some things that are high-priced, and it's not that they aren't using, you know, good quality. I mean, it's, you know, 100% cotton or whatever the deal is. Maybe it's made in America or something, so it's a little bit more expensive, whatever. But the point is, you're, you're paying for a logo. You're paying for this designer. You're paying for this company. When you put an Iron Jock hoodie on, or presumably shirts, polo shirts, vests, workout shirts, sweatshirts, shorts, socks, underwear, running jackets, hoodies, pants, blah, 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 you know right away that this is not just hyperbole. This is not just some made-up nonsense. I put it on, and I'm like, what? what is this material? I have no idea. It's like soft, warm... Hoodie, sweatshirt, spandex, or something. I don't know. I don't wear spandex, so I'm not sure, but it's what I envision them kind of feeling like. Soft and stretchy and stuff. I don't know. But as I've mentioned, all of their um, apparel, I never know the word to use, is infused with their silver ion technology that kills 99.9% of bacteria and fungus. Uh, The Enduratec fabric is also wicking and fast-drying. Breathable anti-static eliminates odor. Enduratec Plus, which is in their long pants, shorts, hoodies, and running jackets, is also water-repellent. So go check this stuff out right now at ironjock.com. That's I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com. Check them out on Facebook or at Ironjock on Twitter. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Because this is how my brain works and I just can't stop, I mentioned I'm very excited that I have all of my, or I will have in the next, I don't know, we'll call it a year because I have almost 900 episodes now and I can do about 100 a month. But now that I have a the ability to actually search all of my episodes, I'm just curious if anybody would think it would be kind of cool to have like a database for the podcast so they can look stuff up, good, bad, or otherwise of my opinions. Because it would be a decent amount of work, but it would also be kind of a cool way to give back to the patrons or donors or whatever if there was sort of a, you know, maybe a locked website which had a search and you could search all, because I'm, I'm using it right now. Like I just yesterday, I'm like, all right, when was the first time I mentioned Matt Coral? And I found a really early one, but I didn't really mention that I liked him. And so I found episode 758, Jordan Love is the pick. So this must have been immediately after we picked Jordan Love. And I went on to talk about how much I love Matt Coral. So this would be, I would, you know, if Matt Coral goes really early or if he's a Super Bowl caliber freakish guy, I'm going to go back to episode 758, find the date and brag about it. It's kind of cool. And obviously, since it's my show, I'm only going to go back and find the good takes and replay them for you. But if I opened it up to you, you could find the bad takes and throw it in my face. And if you're paying for that privilege, I would be okay with that. I'm just curious. I know JJ would like it because he's always going back creeping on my old episodes. But I, I'm just wondering, would that be interesting? If you're a patron or would consider becoming a patron, would that be of interest? Because again, lots of work, but I think it'd be kind of cool. Packernet Podcast Database. And it would have not just, you know, the words, but, you know, the um, episode embedded in that so you could play it, find it, whatever. And it's got timestamps on here. I would just copy and paste this. I don't know. Whatever. I have it for myself. I like it. Haha. Ha. I get it. You don't. Actually, I could kind of just, maybe I could just share this. I don't know. Anyways, moving on. I got to stop brainstorming with you in the morning when I'm doing my podcast. So as of right now, the Green Bay Packers have fallen to the second overall team via PFF behind the Seattle Seahawks. Um, 84.9 is Seattle's overall grade. 84.8 is the Green Bay Packers. It's an extremely tight race. Um, they have the C- Basically, they have the Packers and the Seahawks as almost identical teams as far as macro view. The uh, Seattle offense, they have 0.6 points higher. The Seattle defense, they have uh, 0.7 points higher. Nearly identical in passing. I've already mentioned how Aaron Rodgers is number one. Russell Wilson is just right behind him. Uh, Packers offensive line, they have third as far as pass blocking. Run blocking did completely fall off a cliff, uh, dropped all the way down to 18th. It was a pretty rough week, apparently. I I think part of the problem, I've I've talked about how teams have sold out against the run, and I think this is a consequence of that. Same with Aaron Jones. Like His numbers would be a lot higher had things been different. For example, if Alan Lazard and Devontae Adams were healthy all four weeks, 
I think Aaron Jones would just be absolutely carving up the league. Now, and this is why it kind of doesn't matter, right? This is, this is from my perspective, why just win kind of needs to just be the mantra. Even more so than, you know, Aaron Rodgers and this MVP thing, whatever. Granted, it's, it's all phenomenal, and if that falls off, that's problematic because a big part of the reason we're winning is Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur just really dominating. But at the end of the day, it comes down to just find a way to win. I talked about how, you know, week one it was Devontae, then it was Aaron Jones, then it was uh, Lazard, then it was Tanyan. It's just come up with a game plan that is how you win. Same with, with last year, it was a little bit more volatile in terms of sometimes it was the defense because the offense was garbage. Sometimes the, you know, defense was garbage and the offense showed up. I mean, I, I mentioned last year how everybody was terrible except Jamal had a great game and we just snuck out a victory. This feels a little bit more steady. We, we have an identity. We have something that's working, and, and the things that aren't are getting better. So Darius kind of had his breakout game, which we'll get to. But I think if you look at, for example, Aaron Jones is not getting the respect he deserves. Well, I mean, you know, his stats are, are, are fine. And I think if you read between the lines and look what he's doing, he's doing phenomenally. But if you're just sitting back and you want to see who the best player is and you're not watching every Packer game and you're just looking at stats or whatever, you probably pick a couple other running backs ahead of Aaron Jones. Because again, with, with Lazard and Devontae and all these guys out, everybody's saying the one guy they're trying to take away is Aaron Jones, and the one thing they're doing is stacking the box and overwhelming our offensive line and not letting Aaron Jones go anywhere. So I'm not worried about I'm not worried about, well, the Packers' offensive line dropped to, to 18th on PFF. I don't know what ESPN is saying as far as their win rates. They have a completely different way of measuring it. There's also SIS and their stuff. There's DVOA. Point is, it, it just doesn't matter. The guys are doing a, a really good job. Obviously, there's massive improvement. And I, I, I genuinely believe that this is going to continue to improve as we get guys back. And it's also another thing where you look to the future and say this is everything that we say, man, best case scenario, if this happens, that's going to be awesome. And it's happened. We've talked about how, you know, if Matt LaFleur's scheme takes hold and, and what that could do for the offense, it's evident. What could it do for Aaron Rodgers? You know, the best case scenario is probably better than expected. You could argue this is, and you know, Aaron Rodgers with his humble brag about, I don't know about this being better or whatever. This is kind of how I've always been. That's awesome. I love it. I love the confidence. But come on, man. Don't, don't even. This is by far a better year for Aaron Rodgers in particular than he, that he's had since at least 2014. Without any question. He's had some great games. He's had some great plays he's had some great whatever i think the year he broke his collarbone he was looking real real solid until he went out i mean he's a pretty laid-back dude and he's he's gonna follow up every question with i don't know about that because that's just you know how he is he's always kind of a a moderate the centrist he doesn't like going to the extremes of anything even when it's true (laughs) yes this is an incredible year for aaron Rodgers, and it is in large part because of matt lafleur and he knows that but the other, the other important attribute is, you know, what happens when Mike McCarthy takes a hike and you bring a guy in here that emphasizes running the ball, run blocking, all that stuff. Is that going to improve our offensive line and their ability to run block, which is something they've never done? Clearly it has. David Bakhtiari is the perfect case study. He's a guy who's one of the best pass blockers in football that just, he's not a good run blocker. This year he's one of the best. At least he has been. So yes, it's having a massive profound impact so looking to the future if we do add some pieces if we do go out and actually add a wide receiver to get some more depth and some more talent just because not because we necessarily need it but because why not if this is what our offense can do 
you know, without Devontae, what could our offense do with Devontae? Do we need it? No. Do the Chiefs need Tyreek Hill? No. They got Travis Kelsey. They're fine. They can work. You, you think they can't win with Travis Kelsey and, and Sammy Watkins and E-Lair and Mahomes and Andy Reid? Of course they can. They don't need Tyreek, but they got him. It makes it all the more impossible to stop him or vice versa, right? We, they got Tyreek. We got Devontae. Could we get a Travis Kelsey? Maybe. And I'm not trying to argue about Tanya. That's not my point. I'm just saying we're just getting started. I, I, I mentioned this last year. I don't think the intention of 2019 was to be 13-3. and three. Not saying they were shooting for not going 13-3. and three. I just don't think that was anybody's intention. They were in the process of tearing down in 2018, ripping this thing down to bare bones. We just brought in a new coach. We haven't even given him any of his new offensive players. The defense is in its first official year, right? Like, they're just getting started. The defense, I mean, it was in his second year, but it's first year as far as, like, we got our new pieces. We're just getting started. Like, this is our first attempt at, at trying this thing. We just got Zadarius. We just got Preston and Amos and these guys. Like, we just got these pieces. They're just learning, and Matt LaFleur hasn't even gotten his pieces yet. This is this is a 2020, possibly 2021 kind of rebuild. If everything goes well, by 2021, this is a really good football team again. And we go 13-3. and three. So, you know, yeah, there's there's bumps along the way. There's there's holes and there's there's issues with this and that and the other. I mean, he doesn't have his offensive, but it's just working. And again, credit to Matt LaFleur for just like, oh yeah, I can work with this. It's like, well, I mean, just take your time. We'll get it figured out. Establish how you want to get a, a schedule laid out and, you know, we'll support you. Pay attention to what you need on this roster. No, no, I can work with this. We'll make it. No, no, just, just, dude, Matt, it's cool, man. We'll, we, we're, we're, we're willing to be patient with you. We invested in you. We're not going to fire you if, if, if you need a couple years. We understand, man. This is a, it's a brutal roster. We've had some struggles here. We, 13-3. and three. <laughs> Starting this season undefeated. And I, I'm looking at it going, I don't know, not sure where that first loss is coming from. I mean, it could come as early as Tampa Bay. It's possible. But it's it, the, the point is, these losses only happen assuming things get worse. If we assume the offense doesn't keep going this way, which is really just not... I'm supposed to be looking at stats and stuff, but I think part of the reason... I'm super excited, and a lot of us are enjoying this so much, is it it doesn't feel like it's going to end. Part of the problem with not just 2019, but let's say from 2015 to 2019, part of the issue is it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't really feel real. When Aaron Rodgers does well, there's always this sort of, it's like driving down the road with a car that's making all kinds of crazy noises. It's driving. I mean, we're, we're, we're moving in the correct direction, but I'm really scared of this vehicle. You know, it's like, it's, it's, there's, there's like a rattle and every, every once in a while there's a, a actual clunk. And when I hit these certain RPMs, there's like another really crazy squealing sound. Like something bad is about to happen. And we see the dips, right? We, from again, 2015 to 2019, you see those games where it's like, what was that? Whether it's a loss or a win, you look at it and go, oh, we are in trouble. Because that is pathetic. Now, you can kind of say that with the defense, but the offense has been perfectly consistent. The guys that have done well, stop it, dude, have been very consistent. And again, if I had done my job and given you some of these grades and statistics, you would know that. But let's start with Aaron Rodgers, for example. He's not had a bad game all year. And this is kind of similar to what we used to see with Aaron Rodgers. He just he didn't have bad games. He had fluctuations between good and elite 
But he didn't have games where you just looked at it and went, wow, what, dude, Rod- Rodgers was the problem with that game. I said that in 2019 and 18 and beyond. There were times you look at it and go, no, 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 Rodgers was the problem. This isn't just a matter of if he had talent. He was the issue with that. Those, those. I mean, when you're missing passes in the flat, you're hitting guys in the shoes, when he's five yards away from you, no defenders around you, no pressure, and you can't hit a wide-open guy in the flat, something's wrong with his brain. On top of, you know, the offensive line occasionally falling apart or Jair sometimes just having bad days or whatever. There's none of that. I, I don't, who, who is it that's just like, dude, what is your problem? And, and I'm not including defensive players that we're hoping get better. Who is a really good football player that started hot that's falling apart? Devontae never had a bad day. Lazar didn't have a bad day. Aaron Jones hasn't had a bad day. I don't know if any of the offensive linemen have had any bad days. I, we got to look at it. I haven't actually looked at them as much. But, I mean, I don't think there were, was there one sack in this game? And I'm guessing Aaron Rodgers was credited for that sack because it 100% was his fault. He was in the pocket for like 15 seconds, and then he tried to like spin and roll out, and he spun right into the defender, who was wildly... I mean, the only reason he got sacked is because he didn't assume the defender was that wildly out of position to make a sack. Usually, you're not that far behind the quarterback to a point where it's like, there's no way you're getting a sack, so he spun into the guy. It was The defender was doing that bad of a job. David Bakhtiari was blocking him that far out of the universe that Rodgers had no idea there was a guy way back there. So who's who's the guy that's like, man, I, th- I thought he was going to have a good year, but he's just been garbage? Again, not including guys that just haven't got it going yet. I mean, you could say Zadarius, not including this last game, but again, he just he hasn't found his groove yet. Everybody that's starting off well has maintained it, that I can think of. Has Jamal had a bad day? Have you seen Jamal just be like, dude, what is his deal? No. He's been, he's been lightning hot. I'm assuming lightning is extremely hot. I mean, if you get blasted, there's going to be smoke. Energy, heat, right? It works. It makes sense. Just shh, let me. So again, all this from, from the fact that the run blocking grade fell. What a, it doesn't matter. Add in our elite run blocking wide receiver is out. Our run blocking tight end, Mercedes Lewis, is out. Add in also, I'm a moron and clicked on running and not run blocking, and we're actually tied for sixth, but still. <laughs> it was a dip from, I think, second to sixth. I don't know why simple things are so complicated, and I apologize. I was really, really scared when I realized what I did, that we were still second, and I just wasted about 15 minutes of everybody's time. But there was still a dip. But again, the point remains, it doesn't matter, man. It really doesn't. There's context, and there's nuance, and there's all these things that, that play into it. And again, even if Russell Wilson surpasses Aaron Rodgers, it doesn't matter. As long as he doesn't surpass Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers collapses and it really is just Russell, you know, Aaron kind of just levels out and he's like a an 82 for the next couple weeks overall and Russell's in like the 95s, 99s and it's just playing out of this. I mean, the biggest problem is having to face him. But I'm I'm not I'm not worried about it, man. Russell is a freak. We've all known that. I don't think there's any Packer fans that have been disrespectful outside of the last couple weeks probably because, you know, we want Rodgers to get some respect. But Russell, Russell has been needing this level of respect for a long time. He has been this good for a while. Well, maybe not quite this good, but he's been he's been overdue for a massive amount of respect for a long time. Not just because he's very good, but he's very good with having no weapons, although he does this year. But, I mean, before DK, it was like Tyler Lockett and nobody. Terrible offensive line. Just nothing. 
So he's, he's deserving, and it doesn't matter if Aaron Rodgers is second, third, fourth, fifth. As long as this continues, I don't care who ranks who where. I mean, I, I, I just, I, I just, all I care about is people need to start acknowledging it. That'd be nice. But as I said on Twitter, if it helps you sleep at night to just lie about these guys, it doesn't change the reality, and that's what matters to me is the reality. The reality that this is the best offense in football, the reality that Aaron Rodgers is elite and is back to 2010-2011 form, the reality that Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams is the best, best running back duo in football, the best running back situation I maybe have ever seen in Green Bay in my life, the fact that this is arguably one of the best offensive lines I've ever seen in my life, with Lucas Patrick and Billy Turner, the fact that this is, I mean, I, I don't remember seeing an offense like this ever. Now, I've, I, now I want to put that into context because there's been some elite offenses, but could Mike McCarthy have done this if Jordy and Jennings and let's, I mean, let's say he went from five top tier wide receivers down to, I mean, I don't even want to say two because then what would that be? It would be Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson. There, at, there was at one point that was the bottom two. But really, I mean, I mean, let's put it this way: if if it was our tight ends and our wide receivers in Mike McCarthy's system, could he? No, it would have collapsed. Not, I mean, Mike McCarthy did a great job as a head coach. I'm not trying to trash him. Back in his day, he was a great offensive mind and all that stuff. Clearly, that's dried up. If you look at Dallas, what a oh my goodness! I I don't want to go down the rabbit hole. Let's let me finish this thought. That was a Ted Thompson team. Credit to Ted Thompson for stacking that team with a ridiculous amount of talent. Mike McCarthy was the right man for the job. They got it done. But what's special about this offense is that Matt LaFleur is, is, he is this offense. I mean, you know, him and Aaron Rodgers tied together make this perfect thing where it just doesn't matter. And it's funny because Brian Gutekunst has been telling us that, and we've been calling him a liar. Matt LaFleur has been telling us that. We've been calling him a liar. No, you need to shut your mouth and get us a wide receiver. I don't want to hear it anymore. It's not good enough. Look at 2019. If we had had another wide receiver, things would be better. And they're like, no, dude, you're not understanding how this offense works. If we get things working the way that we need to, we don't need anyone other than Lazard and Devontae and these guys. We'll be fine. No, you're a liar. Go get me Brandon Ayuk. Go get me Justin Jefferson. Which, granted, that would be fantastic if we had them right now. By the way, relax. A billion good wide receivers in next year's draft, and everybody loaded up after last year's stacked wide receiver class. We got our pick pick of the litter. We'll be fine. I mean, we're not going to draft until the fourth round anyways, but still, it'll be fine. Before I forget, the, the Dallas thing. Now that you realize that it's the same old Mike McCarthy, what a horrible hire. We just need a guy that comes that wants to come in here and run the ball a lot. And then, I mean, just imagine if a, a Matt LaFleur type was in Dallas, where they're going to commit to running the ball behind a guy that can easily carry the ball 20 carries per game because he's built for it. But then also when we throw the ball, we have Dak Prescott, who's been playing really, really well recently, throwing to this elite group of wide receivers. I mean, just, or, I mean, LaFleur, anybody from that Shanahan tree, probably a good amount of people from the Andy Reid tree, shout out Bienemy. Stefanski this past year, who I said was probably the best hire that somebody could make, seems to be doing a good job in Cleveland. That would have been my pick if I needed a guy. But instead, we get a guy that refuses to run the ball and wants to just throw it all the time. What an absolute waste. That's not the identity of the Dallas Cowboys. That's the identity of Mike McCarthy, who promised everybody that he had change. And I don't, I don't know the exact numbers, but that's that's the rumor circulating around town that it's the same old Mike McCarthy who wants to come out and pass, 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 and is extremely predictable, right? We'll run on first down, run on second down, pass, or whatever. And we just, we we don't commit to running. We don't care about running. We want to throw the football. 
That's not the identity of the team. That's just a horrible, horrible thing, and it's really not going to pan out if, if they don't fix that. Anyways, moving on. The Packers' defense, with all its warts and all of its flaws, is now apparently up to ninth best defense via PFF. Now again, largely because most defenses are terrible, we do have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six teams that are in the 70s. None of them are really any any good on an elite tier. The Indianapolis Colts are number one with a 73.4 overall. So defenses are still unbelievably behind offenses, just wildly behind offenses. But the Packers are ninth. Uh, they are the third best team not in the 70s. Let's put it that way. About, I mean, literally half the league is 50s or below. Half the league's defenses are just grading out as, as essentially bad. The Rams, in, in order, Rams, Titans, Ravens, Ravens. Figure that one out. Saints, Jaguars, Chiefs, Chargers, Falcons, Jets, Cardinals, Panthers, Lions, Dolphins, Texans, Vikings, Raiders, Cowboys. Shout out to Mike McCarthy with that defense. <laughs> Some things, man, they just don't change. You take a whole year off. I mean, granted, he told us that in 2018. Oh, I, we, we shredded that, man. That rebuilt this team from the ground up. Same offense came strutting out on the field. But yeah, Packers are... Uh, I mean, there's only one team that's grading out as good in coverage. That's the Colts. So despite the fact that the... And, and again, the, the only reason I quantify that is... If I tell you that we're eighth overall in coverage, people are going to say PFF is stupid because we're, our coverage is not good. I'm telling you, they acknowledge that. <laughs> they know. They have us as average. We're still eighth. The Colts are the only team that's grading out as good in coverage right now because offenses are just shredding defenses across the league. And again, be patient. Because while other defenses are still sleeping and are slowly awaking from slumber, we have Jair, we'll get into that, a guy that has been good all year. You have Zadarius that has just awoken from his slumber. We'll see, man. Maybe the Packers won't be a good defense, but we don't know who will. I mean, the Bears have Khalil Mack and basically nobody else. They're slowly waking up, but what are they going to wake up to? I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, getting into uh, more particulars as far as guys that graded out well. It probably isn't as many as you expected. PFF was not overly impressed with uh, the offensive personnel, but some guys were really, really good. So only five guys graded out 70 or above. David Bakhtiari barely made the cut. Aaron Jones barely made the cut. Now, understand there are many, many categories. His his grade as a receiver was out of this world. But as a run blocker, I mean, he just, it was abysmal. So it kind of averages out, whatever. Don't worry about it. I'm just telling you. Third best, and he only played seven snaps, and I don't know why they don't commit to the man, but third best, Mr. Rick Wagner. And I'm extremely confused where he played because it says he played left tackle however David Bakhtiari played left tackle for 63 snaps and it seems as though oh that must have been at the end of the game no it couldn't have been when did he come out and play because all the other guys also played 63 snaps I am I need someone to fill me in I have no idea did we have like two left tackles on the field at some point did we come out with a six-man line and I just am not aware of this I don't know but Rick Wagner was uh 82.2 overall Phenomenal. We'll get into specifics on that. Uh, number two, not surprisingly, Mr. Robert Tanyan. His blocking grade was um, the only thing probably keeping him out of the 90s, but an 87.7 overall receiving grade. That one performance has bumped Robert Tanyan up to the 12th best uh, tight end in football, and I have a feeling he's just going to continue to go up because now that they've established, I mean, you know, my guy, which is just completely heartbreaking, Josiah DeGuara is out for the season, but that really kind of solidifies this. Robert Tanyan is the guy. I mean, they're going to keep Jace out there. 
because again, Jace is going to be more of the the slot guy, and I know Tanyan is going to be more of a receiving guy, but they they tend to keep him in line much more. So whatever it is that I was hoping that uh, would become of Mr. Robert Tanyan, which hopefully he will become at some point. I mean, it's just I'm sorry, I said Robert Tanyan. Josiah Deguara, Robert Tanyan is the guy. And um, again, with this offense and the way that it operates and scheming guys open, I mean, Robert Tanyan is going to get so many opportunities, it's going to be ridiculous. And the only reason he's 12th right now is because that one performance was by far his best. If we just look at his grades throughout the year, his first game he graded out at a 49.9, which is not actually all that different than he's graded out since forever. So all the people that are like, well, he's always been this good. It's just we just finally figured it out. No. He's, his grade in 2018 was a 60. His grade in 2019 was a 55. Overall grades. His receiving grades have never been higher than, like, the 60. So 49.9 is bad, but it's not that different from what he normally does. And week two, 65. It went up pretty average for Tanya. Week three, 78.5. He broke out. His receiving grade was an 87, basically elite. Week four, 87.7 was his receiving grade, 83.8 overall. He broke out in week three. And it kind of seems like there's no turning around. And if we've learned anything about this this team so far, is that consistency is the key. I'm just telling you right now, I've, I've never been a Robert Tanyan believer. And I, I do tend to think that the scheme has a lot to do with this. But what I'm telling you, the Packers have decided Robert Tanyan is the guy. They've crowned him. He is the man. He will now be an official staple of this team moving forward. That is my genuine belief. We will have Devontae. We will have Lazard, who, is, who has just been crowned. Just like everybody, I mean, it's, it's like being knighted. Once it's done, it's done. Alan Lazard is now a staple of this team. I believe Robert Tanyan is now officially a staple. Get used to 5 of 5 for 50 and a touchdown. Maybe not 6 of 6 for 98 and 3 touchdowns, but I believe Robert Tanyan is the guy. And it has nothing to do, I mean, again, it, it, well, does this mean we never draft a tight end? Because Robert, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I mean, what happens if we get a better tight end? Point is, it works. Whatever your thought on his athleticism, his talent level, whether it's scheme versus talent, it doesn't matter. If you can get George Kittle, Travis Kelsey-level production out of a guy like Tanyan, what does it matter? What does it matter who the guy is? So for two weeks in a row now, we've had top-tier tight end-level production. Let me put that into um, a little bit of a different context. If you just look at the last two weeks, the top tight ends are, number one, O.J. Howard, Number two, George Kittle. Number three, Robert Tanyan. Since his breakout, since he's been crowned by Matt LaFleur as, congratulations, you are officially the guy, you are my tight end, we're going to make this work, and Aaron Rodgers, of course, loves Robert Tanyan and is ready to, to move forward in agreement with his promotion to sainthood. Since that time, we have officially, over the last two weeks, this third best, and O.J. Howard, I believe, is done, So if we want to, we can call him the second best tight end in football behind George Kittle. And again, I don't necessarily expect that to change all that much. Do I expect it to stay at that level? Again, I don't know if he ever has that kind of a performance like he had last week ever again, especially if Devontae and those guys come back. But he's the guy, man. He is that tight end. We have that tight end now. Is he going to be able to do that against elite level linebackers? Maybe not. And maybe that's where drafting a guy that's a little bit better comes into play. But how many elite coverage linebackers are there? By the way, if there is one, I think Deion Jones comes into that conversation. If you look at 2019, there were 18 linebackers that graded out positively in coverage. Deion Jones was the fifth highest graded coverage linebacker in all of football. So you can ask the question, what happens when we actually go up against a good coverage linebacker? But again, number one, very few and far between. Number two, Deion Jones is in that category. 
Now, in 2020, he hasn't been all that great, but that's just the way it goes. Now, listen, I'll tell you this right now. The one guy that is that is the best, and he, he was the best last year, he's the best this year in coverage, is Levante David in Tampa Bay. If, if Robert Tanyan has a good game next two weeks from now in Tampa, the conversation has ended. It's ended. If Matt LaFleur can get Robert Tanyan open, whether that's beating Levante David or just scheming him so that Levante is occupied elsewhere and Tanyan gets schemed open, the conversation has ended because it doesn't matter. Anyways, i got to pick up the pace here. Aaron Rodgers was the highest-graded player, um, again, with an elite grade. This was his second-highest-graded game of the year. He now has a 96.3 overall grade. His highest season grade of his entire career was a 93.4 in 2014. A 96.3 overall grade. And, and understand, in week one, he had a 96 overall grade. So we saw that and we said, you know what? That's amazing. That's awesome. It's the highest he's ever started the season. It's the highest, you know, one of the second highest grade he's ever gotten in his career. Not really sustainable. He's gone up since then. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, if you look at the pass statistic, which is passing slash receiving, um, you had four guys that were in the 80s or higher, 80s or 90s. The rest was all average or below, so obviously a massive gap. But Aaron Rodgers, clearly, Jamal Williams, Robert Tanyan, and Aaron Jones. So incredible. We had no wide receivers. Marquez Valdez-Scantling was the next highest graded. He was at a 65. So, like, he didn't really cut it. We had, we had no receivers in this game. We had two running backs and a tight end step up to essentially be elite receivers in this game. And we ended up trouncing the Atlanta Falcons as a result. Um, the blocking, as I mentioned, not quite as good in terms of grades. There were no 80s or 90s in this game. However, uh, the 70s will include Robert Tanyan in this because he was 69.6. So Tanyan, Bakhtiari, 72, which is really low for him, but is you know kind of similar to Aaron Rodgers' quote. A bad day for, for Bakhtiari is a great day for a lot of tackles. Uh, John Lovett, shout out to John Lovett. Only one snap, but hey, he did a good job. Corey Lindsley, not surprisingly, again, Bad day for him, but a great day for many others. Aaron Jones, really solid in pass coverage, but his run blocking grade again was what kind of killed him. He didn't block all that often. He only blocked three times, so it's not really worth the conversation. Uh, Jamal Williams, four pass blocking attempts, four run blocking attempts, um, our best pass blocker. Not surprisingly, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams have proven time and time again they're very good at this. At run blocking, again, not a lot of goodness. I'll include Jace Sternberger in this. Props to Jace. He, he didn't pass block once, but he run blocked eight times. 69.7 overall, so solid enough. Big man Malik Taylor. 17 times he was out there run blocking. 75 overall grade. Why do we have Malik Taylor in? Why did I say he's going to be next man up? Because he's the next, he's Alan Lazard, man. Not necessarily as a receiver, but just a big body guy that's just going to kill people. That's what he did. Uh, the only guy that graded out really, really well was Mr. Rick Wagner, who was out there five times run blocking. Again, I don't know why he was out there. I don't know if PFF just messed up and they recorded the wrong guy. I don't know what happened, but somebody out there that looked like Rick Wagner that had a similar number uh, was really good run blocking. We'll skip over to defense because I am quite short on time and I do want to get to this. I'll, I'll highlight three guys that graded out really poorly because it's worth noting. Uh, not just to dump on them, but it is what it is. Um, Let's say the fourth worst guy was a 51 overall. The next worst guy was a 38.6, and it just went down from there. So there are three guys that really, really stood out as doing a poor job. Vernon Scott was a 38.6, only 11 snaps, but he was struggling out there. Uh, he was targeted twice. Both of those were caught for 34 yards. Uh, 21st overall is Mr. Ty Summers. He was out there 52 times. 
Graded out really poorly in run defense. His tackling grade was below average. His coverage grade was horrible. Targeted seven times. All seven of those were caught for 75 yards. Passer rating of 111.3 when targeted. Had seven tackles and a missed tackle. The worst of all, unfortunately, which makes me very, very sad. Um, of course, willing to give him plenty of time to recover. But uh, Mr. Josh Jackson, who I have a lot of hope that he can step up and be a great corner. But he was put out there. 27 was his overall grade, which is really, really bad. Now, he's only targeted once for six yards, but apparently he just was not looking good out there. I don't know exactly what the problem was um, in terms of his coverage. However, his run defense grade and his tackling grade were also horrible, and I can tell you exactly why. He had two tackles, three missed tackles. If I've seen people get more missed tackles than tackles, it's been rare, if I've seen it. By the way, Kevin King technically meets that standard. He had two tackles and three misses. Another guy. With, the, the tackling has been pretty poor. And let me just highlight Darnell Savage, Kevin King, Jonathan Garvin, and Josh Jackson, all with abysmal tackling grades. Guys got to step that up. But now that the, uh, the ugliness is out of the way, let's get to the good news. Again, similar to offense, mostly mediocre from everybody. Just about everybody was mediocre. But we had five guys in the 70s, or I should say 70s or above, three guys in the 70s, two of them in the 80s. Kingsley Kiki, again, another good day, 70 overall grade, not really elite or dominant in any category, just solid across the board. He added three more pressures, which is ridiculously impressive. He didn't have any sacks, but three pressures is impressive because he did not do that at all last year, so he's kind of continuing with what he did. He added three tackles in that game, did not miss a single tackle. All three tackles were uh, listed as stops, so those were negative plays for the offense, very impactful tackles. Not like he got blocked out of existence and tackled the guy as he ran past him. So again, Kingsley Kiki kind of had his breakout game in week three, and he, he did not take a step back. He had three pressures last week, three pressures this week. It's consistency. That's phenomenal for him, and we definitely need that. The, uh, the, the next highest-graded guy, extremely excited to see it. Very limited snaps, but Montrevious Adams, another defensive tackle. 71.4 overall, 71.3 run defense grade. Pass rush, he didn't do anything. Graded out relatively low, but the run defense was there. He added a tackle, which was a stop. Again, only 10, 10 attempts out there. Only four of them were against the run. But hey, you can only do what you're being asked to do. And he didn't go out there and get dominated like he usually does. Uh, the third highest, or yeah, third highest, another defensive lineman by the name of Tyler Lancaster. Now, you probably saw him. He stepped up several times. There were a lot of really critical run stops. And usually, the name that came up was Mr. Tyler Lancaster. Big man up front, um, filling in for Kenny Clark. He had two tackles and one assist. Two of those tackles were stopped. 76.6 run defense grade. Pass rush was non-existent, but you don't expect that from Tyler Lancaster. Uh, that is also his second. Actually, he's had, out of four games, three of them have been in the 70s. The only game where he dipped a little bit was against Detroit. That was a 61 overall. Overall on the season, 76.1. 77 run defense grade. He's doing a really good job defending the run. Number two overall. The guy we've all been waiting for, Mr. Zadarius Smith, seven pressures on the day. His pressure percentage in this game, 17%. Why does that make me smile? He was the number one pass rusher in the NFL as far as pressure percentage last year. He was at about 17.5%. There's no number I would rather see than 17. I'd take that over 20 because 20 seems like a fluke. Seeing 17 is like, oh, man, that's, that's, that's like the perfect signal. He's back. Now, his his career his his for the season is still way down but he jumped from five percent which is ridiculously horrible to eight percent which is still bad but if he can if he can keep this up he's definitely headed in the right direction so 15 percent pressure percentage he added three sacks to this game which is fantastic 
bringing his total up to five, meaning he's only had one game without a sack, which is another really important metric to keep in mind against New Orleans. He did not have a sack, but again, a lot of dink and dunk nonsense in that game. I mentioned how with this kind of offense, it's more geared toward what Zedarius does well, and that came to fruition. Um, his run defense is still pretty poor. His only game that he did really well was against New Orleans, and I have, I have a feeling a lot of that grade has to do with his strip sack, or his strip of, uh, of Taysom Hill probably played into that quite a bit. But overall, the run defense is pretty non-existent from our edge guys, which is unfortunate because the reason we go out and get six foot four, 270, 280-pound guys who play off the edge um, is because they should be better at stopping the run, but they've been not great. And that leaves us with number one, uh, the man that has been absolutely freakishly dominant all year. That's Jair Alexander, 88.4 overall grade. Run defense grade was a 74. Tackling grade was an 81. Coverage grade with an 87.5. The guy's even doing solid in run defense these days. I'm still holding my breath on it. But right now, the second highest graded cornerback in the NFL is James Bradbury with an 83 overall grade. Jair is a 90.9. It's not Jair is the best corner in football, and it's not close at this point. It's not close. His, his still his worst game was a 71. He was targeted five times in this game. He gave up three receptions for 12 yards. He's still only given up the one touchdown to Adam Thielen, and again he was in lock tight coverage. Something else to point out that was that's important i looked over at uh, sis over here they, they've got their own kind of data and whatnot they've got a thing called total points earned they've got their own little metric on on how they view people and being the most valuable the one thing that stood out to me as i was kind of just poking through the guy that they say is the best wide receiver in football based on their total points earned metric based on whatever these particular metrics are is calvin ridley calvin ridley Against Jair Alexander, Calvin Ridley was targeted twice, zero reception. Christian Blake caught one pass against Jair for seven yards. Julio Jones, two targets, two receptions, five yards. That's what he gave up. He gave up five yards to Julio, zero yards to Calvin Ridley. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brian Gutekunst, for drafting Jair Alexander. Kevin King, by the way, deserves a little bit of credit. Uh, he didn't grade out all that well, but it's in terms of uh, through the air, one target, one reception to Mr. Julio Jones. That's that's it. Jair on the season, 19 targets, 12 receptions for 95 yards. He's given up 21 yards after the catch, one touchdown, one interception, two pass breakups, 71.2 passer rating when targeted. By this time last year in 2019, his grades were a 74, a 52, a 91, a 58. Again, Jair had never had, except for once in 2019, back-to-back good games. He's had four in a row to start the season. He had given up, I think, 125 yards up to this point and a touchdown. No uh, interceptions and six pass breakups, I think. So again, still holding my breath, but, but the guys that are doing well have not faltered consistency was the issue that was the biggest issue coming into this season and we have consistency if you want to take refuge in something else outside of the offense looks really good take refuge in that the inconsistency is what killed us last year there isn't any there are some guys that are not playing well yet but the guys that are playing well haven't faltered and there's every reason to believe Zadarius is going to get better that Amos is going to get better that Preston is going to get better to what degree I don't know but if it clicks and the consistency stays up as a team I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. But uh, that's it. I got to get going. A little bit over time. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye bye. <laughs>